Hello, everyone. I'm Christina Roberts Enneking, and I am here to welcome you to the Real Eyes Realize podcast. This is a platform where we feature everyday people making ripple effects, actualizing love in their families, communities, and the world at large. Real Eyes Realize is a show where life and service dance together. For all of our podcast listeners, we invite you to sit back or take us with you on your walk or drive or however you enjoy your podcast. But listen deeply. We are here with our guests, here to listen to the sparks that have inspired action and heart-centered service and highlight ways in which we can also be motivated and inspired to create the positive ripple effects in our world. We're prepared to get real as well, authentic, courageous, and vulnerable through truth-telling and in that relating with one another to the things that matter most. So thank you for being here and enjoy this special treat, our next episode, just for you. First of all, just wanted to, again, thank you for being here. So excited for our listeners to get to know you more. Uh, Govindas Freeman, GV for short, is the personal is a personal growth strategist and a psycho-spiritual counselor and has been for over 25 years. And he, he is living at the center of marketing, product, sales, and the self-care Venn diagram. GV is the creator of Founders Thriving, which is a movement designed for founders, entrepreneurs, and executives to be successful and happy. And we'll be talking about that combo today. We also are looking at that to have an opportunity to decouple net worth and self-worth and develop a healthy relationship with themselves and their businesses. GV's interests and experiences have spanned many roles, including serial entrepreneur, fractional CRO, ethogen guide, and a spiritual tourist. GV pulls from all of these disciplines to help startups launch, companies grow, and founders thrive. So I know GV has also a dedicated yogi who has taken a look at accepting this name of Govindas from beautiful teacher Ramdas, and really serving as an ever-present reminder that while we can never go back, we can always look to make a brand new start and starting now to change our ending. And I love that. And so as we take a look at you and everything that you do in this world, I know some of that includes hosting retreats and uh, really also enjoying music, having been a DJ in your past life, so <laughs> to speak. And so spending time with friends and your spiritual family. And so thank you for being part of our family here today. Yeah, thank you. It's a yeah. pleasure to be here and a, a great honor to be asked to join you and um, all of the people that... Uh, are realizing uh, that we can do some good in the world. Mm -hmm. And I know we've come to grow and know one another through a, um, a kindred spirit, philosophy teacher, mm -hmm. um, Advaita philosophy and looking at self-realization. And so I love that, you know, you keyed in on that because really that's what we're looking at is how do we take a look at who we are and who we choose to be in the world and how do we continue to realize that we're already there, but we can hone things and take a look at how we can give back as well. So. Yeah, it's a, it is a constant struggle to remember that we're already there. Yeah. We have everything we already need. Um, and it's a daily practice to, to realize that um, I, I have it all and I'm going to forget. <laughs> and I'm going to remember and I'm going to forget. And, um, you know, one of my teachers says the best, the best part of forgetting is that we can remember. So mm -hmm. 
spending time with people like you, um, spending time with soul family and the Sangha. Um, it's just, it's always an opportunity to remember. Yeah. Yeah. And that is part of the journey, right? Remembering and coming back. So um, we, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, uh, if, if left to my own devices, I frequently say I must be pretty important because I'm all I think about. Um, so it's very helpful for me to spend time with other people to realize that, oh, yeah, I'm not that important after all. <laughs> exactly. When we think about right the cosmos and how I love the, some of the realizations that like, you know, here we think we are so big and our problems are so big when we realize we're like this little speck on this spinning earth in this amazing <laughs> galaxy. Um, and yet at the same time, we can continue to, like you said, lean into one another. So mm -hmm. as we begin, I really am curious if you can paint this picture, um, a bit of your journey. You've done quite a few different things and you've had impact in many different ways. How can you share your story with us about some of the you know, key teachings or landing points for you? Yeah, happy to. And, and I would say today I am an expert generalist. <laughs> um, I love learning a little bit about a lot of things. And I think that's the way that uh, when, when you read my bio, it's, it says marketing sales uh, product and self-care Venn diagram. And I think self-care has been the most recent addition to that, but mm -hmm. I've spent the better part of 25 years um, really in the corporate world. Mm -hmm. um, and now the last 15 years of self-care merging those two things together. Um, what got me here is a, is a completely unconnected set of events that should probably have never happened were it not for the universe. Um, you know, I grew up in a tiny little town, Sargent, Nebraska, um, 700 people. Mm. Um, and, you know, it was, I was just a, another little country kid uh, mm -hmm. riding his bike to school every day. Um, my parents moved to a little bit larger town uh, when I was a seventh grader. Um, and I would say the first, like the first big inflection point. So I have like four really big inflection points that I would say dramatically altered the course of my, who I am today. Sure. And the, the first one was my sophomore year in high school. I got outed as a gay kid, mm -hmm. um, sort of against my will. Um, and it really, it, my whole sophomore year was, um, really challenging. And, um, I about halfway through that year, I said, I need to get out of here. And I was literally walking out of the choir room one day and I saw, um, on a bulletin board, um, to become a foreign exchange student with the rotary. So as a somewhat of a precarious, um, 14 year old, yes. I went home and I said, Hey, I want to do this. And people said, uh, what, <laughs> um, <laughs> And, Not at the time of tell me more, right? It was yeah, like, and I was the, the uh, at that time I was the youngest, uh, I was the youngest exchange student that had left from Nebraska. Mm -hmm. So as a as a fifteen year old, I picked up and I moved to Belgium for eleven months, mm -hmm. and uh, I didn't know the language. I all I was doing at the time was just es escaping mm -hmm. the trauma that I was uh, left with. And in a lot of ways, it was amazing. I, I got an opportunity to go experience all of these different people and cultures. There were 90 some 
uh, there were 250 exchange students living in Belgium at the time from almost 90 countries. Um, so being able to, to experience that and to travel a lot of Europe was fantastic. I would also say that it was a perfect opportunity to begin developing some pretty unhealthy relationships with substances. So um, we escape, we do our best to escape that kind of trauma. Mm -hmm. And when we don't want to feel that, when we don't have a really healthy outlet to experience what that trauma is like, then we, we start shutting it down. We numb. Yeah. So I would say that's where a lot of the numbing, that's where the initial numbing and the initial escapism came from. Mm -hmm. um, I proceeded then to come back. I finished high school. I went to college. I, I was a DJ in college uh, and even a little bit before college. And then after about three years in college, I got bored there and I went to work for Carnival Cruise Lines on the cruise ships for a while. Mm -hmm. And that again, reinforced uh, not only my free spirit, but also some uh, really uh, abusive hap, uh, patterns with substances. Yeah. And I did that for a couple of years. And then the next big inflection point was when I got off the cruise ships. And I like to say that the, um, the Custer County, the judge in Custer County didn't think that I should drink anymore. Mm -hmm. So um, looking back and saying, I never thought that I was going to be that person to spend a night in jail. Like that was just, a, it was a deeply held belief. Like what, who, me? No, <laughs> I, that's, that's not something that would happen to me. <laughs> and it was, <laughs> and, it and I look back now and it was a, it was a huge, like it was a huge shock to the ego. Yeah. Um, and it woke me up in a way that uh, not only, not only that, but also financially, that was a, um, that experience cost me $10,000 um, between all of the attorney fees and all of the probation and all of these things. And I was like, wow, this is not fun. <laughs> to spend that kind um, of money on just getting out yeah. of trouble, huh? Not exactly the good kind of trouble that we're looking at. No, not at all. And I, um, so they, they also told me that I had to join a 12 step recovery program. So I started going and I would like do the minimum amount, like one meeting a week and, and I walked, I was in this meeting and I would hear this older woman talk mm. and she just made sense. Mm. Um, her name is Connie. Um, and I walked up to her after a meeting one day and I said, Hey, would you be my sponsor? And she kind of cocked her head and looked at me funny. And she was like, well, I don't usually sponsor men in this program. And I said, well, does it matter that you're old and I'm gay? <laughs> and she kind of looked at me and she said, well, I think that it does. <laughs> so that, uh, that was the first probably healthy relationship that I ever had. Mm. Um, and that started in many ways. I look back now and say, thank God I'm an alcoholic because mm. that started this path of self-realization. Mm-hmm. Um, that was in 2007. I'll fast forward really quickly. Like 2015, I had gotten sober. I'd um, been really happy with my life. My life continued to grow. My finances got a lot better. Um, um, I moved to St. Louis uh, after a couple of years of sobriety. And I still, I started therapy, which was a big, which was a turning point. It was a, um, mm -hmm. an opportunity to start doing some work. But then in 2015, I found myself in Peru, um, 
sitting with shamans in the jungle drinking ayahuasca because there was just something mm-hmm. that I couldn't quite get to. There was something mm-hmm. that I wasn't seeing. Um, ayahuasca changed my life. That was another major turning point. Um, mm-hmm. And it opened me up to the healing powers of uh, sacred medicine mm-hmm. um, and some some deep honoring and reverence to Mother Earth and mm. to to intuition and knowledge that we don't really understand yet. Yeah. Um, so that was 2015. Then in the middle of the pandemic, August of 2020, I would say the next big shift happened and I sat for 10 days in Vipassana. Mm-hmm. And Vipassana um, is the silent meditation retreat. Yeah. Right? So 10 days, um, honestly, 11 days of silent meditation. You're sitting for 12 to 14 hours a day in meditation. You eat a couple of meals a day and, a, and some tea in the afternoon. You get an hour, like you crave this hour in the evening where the teacher is actually talking mm-hmm. um, because the rest of the time you are left with your own mind. And yeah. Um, my mind by itself is not a place to go to by myself. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. talk about a dark, a dark neighborhood sometimes, right? Yeah. Um, there are, there are definitely parts of that and what something that happened there that I was not expecting. Um, and I didn't even realize it until a couple of months later that, mm-hmm. um, what had been taken away from me as a part of that meditation process was the thought that I was broken. Mm. Um, and it's really challenging to explain how that all works and how it all happens because nobody ever really told me that I was broken. Yeah. Um, it's just sort of a feeling that I had grown up with. It was sort of this shell, this clear plastic shell that had been around me since I was probably a little kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like when you, if you imagine a person that's, grows up sitting in a cave in a dark cave their entire life and they've never left that cave yeah they don't know what the light is yeah like somebody could come into the cave and explain to them what light is but they would be like i don't know what you're talking about like it's pretty dark in here right it hasn't been experiential to any degree so for me um vipassana was an experience Mm -hmm. of being unbroken. I had had lots of people told me that I was just fine, but I never believed them, never really mm-hmm. experienced the, the concept of being unbroken. So that was a major shift. Mm. Um, and then I would say the last one, uh, most recently, the one that you and I got to experience in Nicaragua was mm-hmm. um, this uh, Founders Thriving, this, this program that I put together for entrepreneurs and founders and executives to do some inside work mm-hmm. and taking nine people to Nicaragua was really the first time in my life that I said, I am now living my Dharma. I am now living mm-hmm. uh, why I was put on this planet. Yeah. You felt like it was the integration of so many yeah. of the aspects of what, who you are and what you are bringing to, to others in your community. Yeah. It's amazing. So, yeah, I love that's how, that. That's how we got here. It's, you know, and you look at the path, right? And like you said, you know, we're not always choosing when these things, these different sliding door moments happen, if you will. Um, but it sounds to me like you continued to have some inquiry when you were in these moments and all right, here, here's where we're going now down this path. Now you mentioned at the beginning, this 
self-care being a very big part of your focus now for when you're working with entrepreneurs, founders, executives, um, but also yourself. What have you learned along the way, aside from kind of looking at a belief like I'm broken and trying to dismantle that and look at a different way of being? But what do you notice about working with people that seems to be the holdup point when it comes to self-care? The primary holdup around self-care is I don't have time mm. or, or I don't know how. So I hear a lot of, well, I don't know how to meditate, so uh, Mm -hmm. I can't do it. Mm -hmm. Or it's hard, so I can't Mm -hmm. do it. So I think that that those two things, I don't know how and I don't have time, are the two primary pushbacks. Mm -hmm. Um, My my answer to that and what I have really been kind of preaching from the rooftops for since about 2017, when I I wrote a book in 2017 called uh, The SAS Field Manual. Mm-hmm. And one of the things in, in that book was to integrate self-care into the creation of your startup. Because if you yeah. don't do it in the beginning, it sort of like rolls over top of you. Mm-hmm. And I use the 80-20 rule. So for every eight hours of work that you are working on your company or your startup, you need to find two hours of self-care. Mm-hmm. And and the the door of self-care is super wide. So that might be meditation. That might be eating, like turning your phone off and mm-hmm. eating a healthy meal with your family. That right. could be going to the gym. It like it could be going for a walk in nature. Yeah. Self-care is it's so broad, but I think it has to be intentional. Like it, I have to say, I'm gonna take this time, I'm gonna take this 30 minutes. Even if it's 30 minutes at your desk, minimizing all of your windows mm-hmm. and sitting there eating a meal and thinking about the food that you're putting in your body, that's 30 minutes of self-care. Mm-hmm. So it's not really that hard to do. It's much more about the intentionality of a couple yeah. hours a day. Yeah. And knowing that that I, I work with many, you know, different executives as, as well. And question I'm always hearing is, well, what's the return, right? What's the return on that? So what have you found in your own experience with, you know, an investment of when, when you talk about Vipassana and having gone through this 10 to 12 day experience, um, it had some fun, foundational shifts for you going on. So what do you see as the ROI for some of the self-care practices with the people that you work with as well as yourself. I'm going to steal a line from 12-step recovery that I never agreed with. I would okay. have, there would be people in, in recovery that would say, my worst day sober was better than all of the best days that I had when I was drinking. And I think that's total bullshit because I had some amazing (laughs) times partying and drinking on the cruise ships and all over the place, all over the world. I had some pretty amazing times, but (laughs) I can say today that my worst day post Vipassana Mm. is still better than my best day pre Vipassana. Mm -hmm. Now for me, that was because I let go of this thought that I was broken. Yeah. So maybe people don't feel like they're broken and that's great, but I can tell you that the ROI for me is my happiness set point is higher today than has ever been 
in the history of my life. Do I have hard days? Yeah. Do I have days that are no fun? Do I have days that I got to work, you know, 16, 18 hours a day to, to launch some project? Yeah. But generally speaking, I am so much more content and happy and fulfilled today than I ever was before Mm -hmm. I started doing this work. Mm -hmm. And if you're not willing to take the time, or if you don't value your own happiness and self-worth enough Mm -hmm. to take the time and really say, man, what's going to make me happy? Mm-hmm. then you're not ready to be on the path yet. If you are really just interested in making a shit ton of money and say, and hoping and crossing your fingers that that's going to make you happy in the future, then call me when you've realized that that's not the case. <laughs> the chase, right? The chase for the temporary that continues to be that ball that keeps changing in front of us. Um, when you look at many of the clients that you work with, And when you describe the path, I've also heard you talk about it as, you know, you've got to go and be willing to do the work. Um, What does that mean to you? You know, oftentimes I know people are just kind of trying to just get by, right? Get by, work with their families, work with their jobs, uh, trying to kind of maintain some sense of stability. What do you think is um, an opportunity for them that is above and beyond just getting by? Wow, that's a great question. And I think it's a, it's a hard question for people to answer because again, the door to self-awareness, the door to the like happiness, purpose, and fulfillment is so mm-hmm. wide and there are so many options. Mm-hmm. Um, and as adults, I think our willingness to try new things and to, and to be like, feel embarrassed or feel like we're not a part of gets lower and lower. Yeah, um, so like, you know, when my first yoga teacher, um, we would sit in a class and everybody would be sitting there and somebody might come into the yoga room late and we would all turn around and he would say, Oh, we've been waiting for you. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, and I think that that's the way that some of this stuff feels like yeah. it feels a little culty. It feels <laughs> like, I don't know what I'm doing, so I don't want to do it. And I think that there, there's a lot of really simple entry points. And for me, honestly, an entry point was yoga. I bought a Groupon for yoga in 2012. And in 2013, I was doing yoga teacher training. Like I had <laughs> no, I'd never been to a yoga class in my life. So I just happened to show up at the right time. Right. So having, um, I, I go back to intentionality. So Picking a, an activity that has an intention behind it. So mm-hmm. an intention of self-awareness, whether that's yoga um, and maybe that's going to a different yoga class. So if you're, if you're taking yoga at the gym, mm-hmm. maybe trying to take a yoga class at like some weird woo-woo um, yoga studio and seeing what they have to say and seeing what that feels like. Yeah. Um, that's a really easy entry point even starting to do meditation on an app um, and a guided meditation, picking up a book from Brene Brown, picking up a book from Tara Brock, um, starting to learn a little bit about yourself. The the way that I explain this to people is that we have four bodies. We have the physical, the mental, the emotional, and the spiritual. Most people, when they're starting this journey, they start in the physical body. They eat Mm -hmm. better. They go to the gym 
Um, and then one day they're like, they're running on the treadmill. And instead of listening to a playlist on the, tre- or like a, a, a music on the treadmill, somebody says, oh, you should really listen to this Brene Brown podcast or <laughs> like listen to this book about happiness. So then they start listening to this book and they're like, okay, I'll try some of these things. I'll try cutting sugar out of my diet. And then they start having feelings. So now they've moved from their physical body into their um, mental body with the book. And now they're starting to have some feelings in the emotional body and they don't know what to do with those feelings. Mm -hmm. So then they look for a coach. They look for a therapist. They want to have somebody help provide some context Mm -hmm. for what they're feeling, what their lived experience is. And once then they move out of that emotional body and and we're in all of these bodies all the time, time. Mm -hmm. but as you begin to progress, you're like, wow, this is kind of interesting learning about myself. And when I do this one thing, I actually feel better. That's, that's my version. That's my definition of spirituality is simply self-awareness. It's, it's taking our, our intuition and, and our inquisitiveness and turning it inward and that's where happiness lies. The mm-hmm. happiness, the real happiness lies from within. And all I have to do is start learning about myself a little bit. And then I stop stitching together these temporary moments of happiness that are like, oh, I'm going to go hang out with friends tonight. I'm going to go drink some beer. I'm going to go buy a house. I'm going to go buy a car. I'm going to do these. All of these external things are just little moments of false happiness, perceived happiness that I stitch together close enough to where I don't feel unhappy anymore. Mm-hmm. And when I can stop stitching those things together, you can enter the path anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, you just have to have a desire to do it. Yeah. That desire is, I think the key, that key entry point, it's the saying of, yes, I, I see that I'm ready. And do you find that there's an element of um, trust that also is involved, you know, the, the notion that when the student is ready, the teacher arrives, like, what does that mean for you? Like when you were showing up and trying some new things, did you find that kind of the right people plopped into your path at the right times? Yes. But I think there's some, there's a caveat around that as well, because the right people not might not always feel wonderful. (laughs) I learned some amazing things so from some teachers who, um, it did not feel good. Yeah. My, my first yoga teacher who I learned a lot of beautiful, um, physical asana work. Yeah. When I kept asking him to help me with other things farther down the path, meditation and spirituality, I found myself in a really precarious situation with him and he was doing something that he wasn't qualified for. Mm-hmm. And it really put me in a challenging spot. Um, and it was a really, really, I remember sitting on my mat in his, in his house, we were working together four days a week privately. And mm-hmm. I remember him saying something to me, sitting on my mat one morning that just shook me to the core. I sat there and cried on my mat for 30 to 45 minutes. And I said to myself, if I get up and leave right now, I will never come back. Mm-hmm. And I just sat there. And felt my feelings for one of the first times. It was probably one of the first emotional (laughs) breakdowns slash breakthroughs that I had had on the journey. So he was the 
teacher that I needed at that moment to give me the breakdown that I needed to go to somebody else and ask, who should I go to next? And that person sent me to the person that I ended up doing my yoga teacher training with. Yeah. So, you know, Einstein says, coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. Mm -hmm. And I think that we're, we're always getting what we need. We just got to slow down enough to recognize Mm -hmm. what it is. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I think that that, and when I hear you talk, you know, you went through, you know, your sophomore year, you see this flyer about going to go to be this exchange student. Um, there is, even though your motivation at the time may have indirectly been escape, I need to get out. I'm experiencing this huge trauma. Um, the kinds of, it's almost like there was no accident in that happening, right? You, that was an experience for you, probably a worldly view that came across that was something none other than what you had experienced in the past. And that growing up, having to grow up very, very quickly. So when you, find yourself in this mode of partnering with individuals, doing their own deep work, knowing that it's a big wide open door, like you talked about, how is it that you find yourself like being there with them? How would you describe yourself either as a coach or as a partner um, when you are really looking at and investigating the discovery of going into, especially the deeper emotional, spiritual space? I, while I'm not perfect at any of this, I would say that the, the way that I try and show up is simply as a mirror. Yeah. Um, most of us don't have an opportunity to understand and see who we truly are, mm-hmm. uh, both the good and the bad. Mm-hmm. Very frequently people uh, if we're doing good work out in the world, most most of the time people will will tell us, "Oh, that's such beautiful work. Oh, way to go! Congratulations! We've been operating under the validation model since we were in elementary school, <laughs> which is the what what got us to this point. Um, is we've been seeking external validation for a long time. Yeah. But very few people show us how to find validation from the inside out. Mm-hmm. But Something else that happens is that nobody really shows us our shadow work. Mm. Nobody really shows up in a non-judgmental way. Because like, if you're in a partnership and you're kind of being a dick (laughs) and your spouse is like, Hey, you're being a dick. And there's usually some judgment around that. There's like, I don't like you right now. You sleep on the couch because you're acting in a way that I don't approve of. So (laughs) We do get to see ourselves, but it always comes with a cost. It always comes with some hurt feelings. And what I try and do is show up and ask people questions that allow them to see themselves in a new way, but to also sit in a place of complete Mm non-judgment. I do my best to simply love my clients the best way that I know how, and even if something comes up, that's really not very friendly to them or kind of yucky for them. I have spent enough time working through my own yuck mm-hmm. that I'm like, I'm perfectly capable of saying like, well, that's all you got. <laughs> like <laughs> That's not really as bad as you think, <laughs> uh, but thanks for sharing. Yeah. Um, 
So finding somebody in your life that is a non-judgmental mirror and can ask some really interesting and thought-provoking questions is really all you need. I love that. I, I think that part about the insightful and thoughtful, I thought provoking questions is really a key part because when we think about, we talked about self-realization at the beginning of this talk, all of that is, is an inquiry process. And when you look at having a guide, they're not going to do the work for you, but they facilitate maybe pointing you in a direction. Yeah. And uh, hopefully this is something that they've had some skill in going down a path and they can let us know if we need to do some course corrections along the way. And I think that, so a lot of the entheogen work, the, the psychedelic guiding that I do today is very much in that vein. So we have a, our mutual teacher used to say, um, one of them would, would say, I'm just the shaky finger that points at the moon mm -hmm. uh, and I'm not the moon. I'm just the, the finger that points at the moon that shows you where to look. And I think that that is for me, what has been the most beneficial aspect of the kind of process and protocol that I've used to guide when I do it individually is when I get to know the client, when we're going through their history, we're able to see sort of where the snags are. And that's sometimes a, a place, um, an awareness of intelligence or, or experience, maybe not intelligence experience, like, mm, I've, I've seen this before, or I've heard something like this before. Let's come back to that. Yeah. Or sometimes it's very much just an energetic intuition. Like I can feel someone's kind of energy tighten up, yeah. um, voice changes, posture changes. And then I also recognize like, ah, there's another place that we can look like there's another corner, another dark corner that we can look in. Yeah. And as I'm working with somebody, whether it's with medicine or not, I very frequently ask, Hey, do you want to do some work right now? Yeah. And if so, are you willing to look in this dark corner? Mm -hmm. And it's simply a, that's the question that draws someone's attention to say, yeah, I'm ready to look at the moon. Now I know that your finger is not the moon, but I'm ready. I'm ready to look in that direction. Mm -hmm. And most of the time, that's all you have to do. And then you simply hold space while people do their work. Cause mm -hmm. we are innately qualified to heal ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, we Absolutely. just have to move slow enough and gentle enough to allow our bodies to acclimate to what that healing feels yeah. like. And that sounds to me why so much of your own realization on self-care has come in it's just to kind of slow it down, to be able to see yeah. the signals and be able to kind of process what's the signal to noise here uh, with yeah. what's going on. You, I'd love to, if you're open to talking about, so you had um, kind of your early life and experiences that was around using substances for numbing mm -hmm. and then moving into plant medicine. And I heard you talk about the intentionality and the, the sacredness and so I'd love to know like the shift for you and, and how much reverence you do have for how you work with medicine and how that becomes really a sacred ceremony when you're working with people. Yeah. So I, I would go back and say that there, there was a transition. I spent seven years in, in recovery um, as a sober person before 
going back to plant medicine, to go mm-hmm. back to sacred medicine as a recovery tool. I was really using it for recovery. Mm-hmm. And that was almost seven years ago. And I would say that it, it took a, a good five years to really unwind mm-hmm. some of the thoughts and expectations around 12 step work Mm -hmm. as it related to medicine work, because Mm -hmm. I was now using things. I was using substances that in the past I was abusing Mm -hmm. in some ways. Mm -hmm. So I do think that intention is the the first step for me. I sort of have a six step process that I work with, uh, with people. And the first step is intention. Mm -hmm knowing what the intention is and knowing why you're going to be sitting with a specific substance is the most important part. And it also uh, changes the preparation. Mm -hmm. So um, if I know that I'm going to be doing this deep work with a substance, then that will change my preparation, how I choose to show up, what work I choose to do ahead of time. Um, So I think that those two things are the biggest determining factors Mm -hmm. because I will say there is also a perfectly acceptable place for anybody who chooses to, and can do so responsibly to say, I want to experience some level of ecstatic bliss and joy. And if you choose to set an intention to experience that and your preparation is making sure that you have some, uh, some, the right substance in the right dosage and the right environment. And that environment might be a big music festival where you can go and dance and be joyful and sing. I think that is a perfectly acceptable use of -hmm. some of these substances. It is not, I wouldn't call that sacred (laughs) in this case, there are probably opportunities to do ecstatic dance in a sacred way. But if that's what your intention is, then just set the proper planning ahead of time. Yeah. Um, and if you need to do deep work in trauma, then that's a very different intention. That's a very different preparation. It's a, probably a very different use of the substance and it changes the set and setting and dosage significantly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, and also I think the, you know, the last step for me is always integration. Yeah. Um, making sure that you integrate that experience however you can. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You just mentioned um, something that I think is so key is having not only set intention mindset, but also setting, because that Mm -hmm. certainly will help to give a backdrop for the experience. Um, I'd love to know a little bit more. So you had your inaugural um, Founders Thriving Consciousness Experience, um, selected location in Nicaragua. That's a whole very specific setting for the series of events that uh, you designed. So tell me a little bit more about what your thoughts are now looking back on that in terms of was, did that meet exceed your expectations and thoughts? Um, How did that setting really facilitate the process? When I came back, so many people asked me like, how did it go? And I mean, it's, it's, it was six days of some of the deepest work that Mm-hmm. Not only I had done, but uh, that the, the participants had shown up to do. So I can narrow it down to two phrases. It exceeded the expectations of the participants and myself. Mm-hmm. And 
it was probably the most important work that I've ever done in my life. Mm-hmm. The, you know, the setting where we were at Costa Dulce in, in Nicaragua was so supportive of everything that we were there to do. Uh, it was, I created that experience, that specific consciousness experience as a five-day medicine ceremony. It was a step-by-step process. And, and the medicine in the beginning was just yoga and mm-hmm. it was meditation and breath work. And then it got a little bit deeper into a microdose. And then it got a little bit deeper into holotropic breath work. And then it got even more deep into a full journey with psilocybin. Uh, and then the, the last day was um, integration. Mm-hmm. And, and as you know, we've continued to integrate. Uh, the mm-hmm. group has continued to integrate now uh, three months later. I think that the setting there and the set, the mindset mm-hmm. was so important. We oriented everybody in the direction of decoupling net worth and self-worth. Yeah. Building a healthier relationship with yourself and your business. That was the intention. And then we put, we gave people an opportunity to participate in a lot of different experiences to reach that goal. Mm -hmm. And people had such a vast and a variety of different experiences. They had the experience that they needed. This wasn't a prescribed thing where you show up at a conference and you watch seven or eight PowerPoint presentations and you take data home, it was an experience. It wasn't, it wasn't called a retreat or a conference or a workshop for a reason. I very much built it to be experiential because when the body remembers, the mind doesn't have to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that those were some of the just, uh, I'd say glowing testimonials that came back is, you know, I would even say to a certain extent, individuals were like, I didn't even know what to expect. Like there was something inside that said, this is something that I feel called to do right here and right now. And, uh, and so now when you look at building upon that, so you're looking at continuing to do these kinds of consciousness experiences, right. In the next year and, uh, say a little bit more about what you kind of have, in your midst of having your Dharma come through in this world? Um, For 25 years, I've been working. I gave myself the title growth strategist. Mm -hmm. Um, And for 25 years now, that's what I've been doing for companies. Mm -hmm. Um, I have been helping them grow strategically, mostly tech companies. Um, And January 1st of 2021, I had a psychic reading Mm -hmm. and I'd never had a psychic reading in my life out of all of the woo-woo shit that I've all (laughs) I've done (laughs) and all the people that I've hung out with had astrology readings, but never a straight up psychic reading. And that, that day, it was like the universe was speaking to me and I was finally ready to listen. Yeah. Two days later, the words "founders thriving" came out of my mouth, and I always know that there's something right happening when I go to the when I go to GoDaddy and the domain name still exists. <laughs> so when I found founderthriving.com and I realized that nobody thought of that before, I yep. said, "Okay, this there, yeah, there's something here." Um, and the next couple of months, I began to realize that my dharma was to work with humans and not as much with companies. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. And the reason for this is that if we can change, if we can look at a founder, an entrepreneur, an executive that is operating at some of the higher levels of an organization, even smaller organizations, 10, 20 people, if we can create a space for those people to begin experiencing some expanded consciousness and some mindfulness and some Mm self-care, then they will go back to their companies and they, their culture will change Mm -hmm. based on their willingness to bring in more self-care into the the workplace. Mm -hmm. So that's really my goal is to continue providing experiences, not just for individual founders, but we're also working on a, um, an experience this year for co-founders to come and do deep work to move from, from co-founders to partners. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a, a foundation really of trust. I think if you would think of the intention of that experience, what we're building is um, rather than expanded consciousness, it's a deeper level of trust. Yeah. Um, also considering taking a small group of uh, founders to Peru for a tra- um, what we're calling the transformation experience, which is mm-hmm. going to be um, ayahuasca and potentially Huachuma or San Pedro, mm-hmm. deep, deep, deep work. Um, and then um, we're still exploring some stuff that is going to be stateside. Um, mm-hmm. It's going to be a little, not quite as deep, we call it an intentional vacation. Like if you want to go hang out with other founders or entrepreneurs and do like two or three hours of work every day, kind of mm-hmm. as a reset is a simple, uh, simple reset that you can fly to in a day. You don't have to have a passport. There is no sacred medicine used in the, the, the experiences that we're looking at in the United States. That's where I think um, that's what 22, 2022 um, yes. holds. Um, and also uh, I, I'm hoping to be able to share this experience and these uh, insights with more people. So yeah. whether that's conferences or podcasts or, or whatever, yes. um, doing small group work anywhere we can. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. And I just, I see you as such a brilliant um, individual who has just kind of come into this space of listening, listening to these different callings that you have been, you know, invited to become a part of. And now it seems to me like you're kind of cultivating this deeper sense of mastery um, by the way that you show up and the intentionality that you have around that. And so it's a very, uh, it's a wonderful thing to witness. Um, Thank you. That wholesomeness. Yes, absolutely. Um, one thing I wanted to ask too, really quick here is when you do work with individuals, I know you've mentioned talking about doing deep work and I'm wondering if that is, like, what does that mean, right? For some people that can be like, God, that sounds super scary and like a whole <laughs> lot of extra time that I don't have any of. And so why do I need to do that at this point in my life, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm curious a little bit about the what, and then also why is it necessary? So deep work is, I think that people, there's a lot of people who say I'm doing some deep work or I'm doing some inside work or, yeah. um, and I've provided a deep work for me as an acronym. Um, so deep is discovery. Mm-hmm. So really learning who I am and going through and doing some, uh, some self-awareness um, Q and a, not only with me as an individual, as, as a coach, but also mm-hmm. um, answering questions for yourself. Mm-hmm. So 
discovery is the first D. The second one is excavation. So letting go of what no longer serves us. When we begin doing some discovery and some inventory of who we really are, we might find some things that we don't love about ourselves, Mm -hmm. or we might find some things that no longer serve us. This thought that I am consistently thinking about this topic might not serve me to grow my business or might not serve me to be a better partner to my um, yeah. to my family. Is that where you would go into the deep beliefs? Like for example, what you found in your Vipassana retreat, that realization of, Oh, like I have a thought that is on the background of feeling broken. How is that serving me? And how do I start to unlearn that and kind of take a look at a different approach? Yes. And yes to that. And here's the thing that thought about, in this case, being broken, that was not a thought that I could, I even knew that I had. I had to have someone reflect that back to me sure. because it was the only thing that I had ever known. So the challenge with doing deep work, shadow work is that, you know, it's, we can't natively see our shadow. We have to mm-hmm. have some help. Mm-hmm. So um, usually that is a, in my case, either a substance um, that helps me see some of that or another trusted friend or spiritual teacher or mm-hmm. a therapist that can help me begin to realize some of that. Right. Back to that mirror that you were talking about before, yeah. a trusted mirror. Yeah. So after we have realized like who we are and we have gotten rid of some stuff, um, the next E in the process is actually experiment. Mm-hmm. And it's about creating experiential little activities inside of my life. So Um, I have a, it's called the founders thriving compass. It has nine different areas of our life that we can begin to look at. And if I look at one of those areas in my life, uh, and I say, you know what, I'd really like to, um, build some more play into my work life that might be, uh, or, or into my career. So I look at one aspect, which is career, or I work maybe, um, relationships is another aspect or social is another aspect. And I say, I want to cultivate play in my career or relationships or social. So we match those two things up and we say, let's create an experiment to see how to incorporate more play into that area of my life. Mm -hmm. And then we go out and do that. Like, for me, that was two, three weeks ago, like going and playing ping pong. I said, I needed more play in my life. So I found somebody who also wanted to play with <laughs> me and we went to the rec center and we played ping pong. I haven't played ping pong in years, but it was a lot of fun. Awesome. So that's just one example um, of cultivating play. It might also be, how do I let go of judgment in my career? Yes. Um, so that might be another experiment um, that you could, we could create another experiment. And then you come back and report, like, how did that go? How did it feel? You do a little, um, uh, some awareness practices around that experiment. Mm -hmm. And then as you create enough of these experiments, not that playing ping pong one time is going to increase my fun level exponentially, but it felt good. Now it makes me want to do it again. And it was something that I hadn't done in a while. Maybe that's a pottery class. Maybe that's going painting, who knows? (laughs) Um, So we craft these experiments individually, one at a time for each person on the things that they need to, to look at. And then we go back and we review and the last P in deep is prosper, Mm -hmm. um, which is really like, is my life getting better? 
Um, we look at these nine areas. We set some goals. I use the objectives and key results methodology that, that uh, kind of Google made famous. And we use those to go back and see if my life is improving in the ways that I want it to. And like I said before, when the body remembers, the brain doesn't have to. So if I have a good positive experience doing something, then I don't have to remember to do it again. My body is remembering for me. Mm -hmm. So that's what deep work means to me. I love that. I think that that is, it just paints a beautiful picture of what that means. And then given your example as well, you know, if we want to be deliberate about, I want to integrate play into my life more. And when you go and then sample and experiment something, and then you come back and you're reflecting on that, it, you're allowing the, the brain to kind of have this new opportunity to say, I can set the tone for what the kind of a future I'm really looking at. And then I can go and take care of it right here and now. And so that's just, that's incredible. And it's short and sweet too. And I think, uh, so my sort of my hashtag is stop crushing it. Um, all of the kill it and the crush it people that have kind of started or originated in the mid two thousands and have continued. Um, I push against all of that. So if you wanted to, if you're somebody who works 70 hours a week, um, and your life is not very comfortable. So yeah. your family doesn't uh, get to see you very often. You're stressed out. You might be abusing substances. You might be, and a substance could be caffeine um, mm -hmm. or it could be something. Um, it could, could be, be work, drug, right? alcohol like related. So what, I, and, or it could be abusive behavior. Like mm -hmm. I'm going shopping, I'm gambling. I'm like, who knows how you're numbing out from that 70 hour a week thing. So an experiment might be, what's it feel like for five days to work 50 hours a week? Mm -hmm. And for some people, 50 hours a week might even sound like a lot, but other people, they say, well, there's no way I can get all of this stuff done in 50 hours a week. And then we have to go back to what the intention is. Yeah. What are you really here to do? Are you, are you here to burn yourself out? Do you think that making a million dollars is going to make you happy. I bought the domain name miserablemillionaire.com. That's the next book <laughs> that I'm going to write. Um, Cause I meet more of those people than yeah. I meet happy millionaires. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so excited about your continuation of not only being this guide for people doing their work, but for your continuation on doing your work with this insightful um, and uh, a deep listener as you are in terms of the path. And so um, if people were to want to work with you, um, where can they find you? We'll certainly do some links to some of these retreats that we are not retreats, these experiences that we've talked about. <laughs> um, but even if it were somebody who wanted to work with you one-on-one, -on -one, um, yeah. how would that happen? Yeah. So I would say that um, if you are a founder, an entrepreneur, an executive, an intrapreneur, because for many years I was an entrepreneur, people would hire me to come in and build new things inside of their companies. And there is a level of ownership thinking mm -hmm. uh, that I think qualifies us as uh, usually working too hard. <laughs> so when we really own what we're doing and we so believe in it, you're a perfect candidate for Founders Thriving. So um, if you're just interested in joining a community of um, other people who believe that there is a chance to be successful and happy at the same time, <laughs> um, rather than saying, I'm going to be happy 
once I make a million dollars, once I achieve this thing. If you want to do it at the same time, go to founderthriving.com. We'd love to have you be a part of that community. And also, if you want to come on an experience, um, yeah. we'd love to have you there. If any of this resonates with you and you'd like to do some one-on-one work, some deep work, uh, <laughs> as I said, um, and, and that can be um, anything we make. If that's usually a weekly session, a weekly coaching, coaching session with me, um, and we create these experiments and we really yeah. figure out what makes you tick and what you want to achieve in your life. And because I've spent 25 years in corporate, um, the beauty that I have, which a lot of um, a lot of therapists, a lot of coaches are not going to be able to talk to you about negotiating with procurement or signing a you know million dollar uh, annual reoccurring revenue deal. Um, or how to change your inbound marketing strategy. Um, I have the advantage of I'm spending a lot of time in both worlds now, and I'm just mashing those two things up. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. And um, what I would love to do is as we draw this to a close, oftentimes what we do is, um, or what I do is provide these kind of collective questions. There are questions of inquiry that we ask to all of our guests, and uh, it's more just meant to be spontaneous um, and so if you're willing to do that, let's go ahead and go through our closing collective sure. questions. Okay. Let's go. All right. So when you think about it, and I don't know if you are reading or watching anything much these days, um, this has been a very interesting question during COVID, but is there anything that right now is either on your bookshelf or something that you enjoy watching? Oh my God. I have, I buy 10 times more books than I read. <laughs> There's a... Um, you can find this, um, you can pull this in the show notes. Um, there is a word, there's a Japanese word that is actually created for people like me who buy more books than they ever read. I can't remember what the, the word is, okay. but they have a special term for it. Um, so I am, I'm going back through some of Brene's work right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say the, the, one of the primary books that, or actually it's a talk. You can't get it. It's not a book to buy. Um, it's the, it's called the power of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a, a six hour talk that you can get off of audible. And it is probably, um, the one place that I go when I'm stuck, I will go mm-hmm. back to that. Awesome. Um, is that I, where the redacted Netflix came from? Cause there's a, like a one hour Netflix type special by the same name. So I've seen the Netflix special. This is a six hour workshop that Brene Brown actually does in front of a group of people. Um, And it's over the course of a couple of days. Um, So I would, I always recommend that Um, every day that I do medicine work. um, I always listen to um, a podcast from Ram Dass, Mm -hmm. Ram Dass here and now. Um, he is probably my root teacher and where I got the name Govindas. So I, that's always on my list. Um, uh, the, a book that I have gone through and I'm going through again is the body keeps the score. Yeah. Um, another one that I consistently go through is the alchemist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are probably the ones at the top of my list. Lovely. Um, Lovely. Those sound like classics, right? Like classic, like you said, they're on the, you know, you've got 
you know, your altar and then right next to the altar, are those like guidebooks that just continue to be our compass. So thank you for that. Yeah. I was just going to look and see, like, I I'm usually listening to three or four audible books. So right now <laughs> I am in rising strong from Brene. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I just finished listening to the prosperous coach, um, difficult conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, I also uh, went through holotropic breath work for, by Stanislav Grof. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, those are probably the, uh, and I'm, and I'm doing one uh, on Taoism. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, those like, it just depends on the mood that I'm in when I get into the car, uh, <laughs> depends on which book pops up. So, right. I love that. I love that. Like you said, the generalist, but I know about you, you go deep, like you might have your, your capacity to go wide, but I also know how much you go deep. Um, so when you think about, you know, you've had a lot of different inspirational individuals in your life. Um, you mentioned, I think that your first sponsor, and then you mentioned Ram Das, um, and then maybe just in general, I'm wondering if there's somebody who, if you could have dinner with them now, whether or not they're past or present, who would it be? Mm. Would you like to dinner would definitely dialogue? be dinner would definitely be Ram Das with Ram Das. Yeah. Um, yeah. Other teachers um, are shared teachers, uh, both Manoj and Jyoti Chalom. Um, you know, Jyoti recently dropped this body um, and is yeah. doing magical work in the ether somewhere. Um, Manoj is definitely still with us, and um, I'm looking forward to spending more time with them. Jyoti was a pivotal point, 2016, when we met. Yeah. Um, starting to understand Vedanta in a, in a really profound way um, also changed my life. And I would also say this, um, my really my, I would call my second yoga teacher, Saul David Ray. Yes. Um, is a bhakti teacher. Um, and um, I, to this day, still have trouble um, with some of the bhakti work. Mm. Um but that experience, that um, 200 hours that I spent in teacher training um, with Saul opened my heart in a way that I don't think could have been opened in any other way. Mm-hmm. So Almost that like was the gateway big, to the yeah, rest another, of the work. That's yeah, beautiful. I would say so. Well, and part of this next question is, you know, what do you do um, to, what do you do or what do you say to yourself when times get tough? You know, when you find, like you said, you're having that rough day and you're having to kind of come back to remembering that you are full and complete and not broken. Um, what do you do? Like how, what is your catalyst for, here's how I want to show up. So I can, when I'm having a rough day, I do have the, the, the ability and it's been a, a true gift to put my shit on a shelf for a a short period of time. Um, so when I have to show up and work with a client, that's one of the ways. And I think that comes a lot from 12 step work as well. When I'm, when I'm focused on your problems, I'm not focused on mine. (laughs) So in some ways I can show up for my clients. I can show up for people in my life and, and be there for them. And that helps me remember that I do have value, but that doesn't make the shit go away inside of me. Yeah. And I, I've re- recently, the, the, really the last month has been a really challenging time and I work with a coach weekly. Yeah. Um, I still, I sit in meditation, uh, almost daily. Um, and I, and I pray and then 
when the shit really hits the fan and I can't figure out what to do, I call my sponsor and I sat in a coffee shop a week ago today because I was miserable mm-hmm. and I showed up and I gave him this big, long explanation of this project that I had been working on and how I had done my best and it didn't work out the way that I wanted it to. And I was, it was really screwing with my self-worth mm-hmm. and he gently put his hand on my knee And he said, I'm just going to stop you right there. Hmm. And he said, why do you think you need to explain yourself to me? Mm -hmm. Why do you think you need to like validate all of your work? And I kind of looked at him and I didn't have a great answer other than to say, because I want you to know that I'm right. And I did the best that I could. And he turned to me and he said, it doesn't matter what you did. I love you regardless. You're deserving of love regardless of what you do. And I'm sitting in a coffee shop holding back tears um, because I forget. Yeah. I forget that I'm not broken and I forget that I am deserving of love regardless of what I do. Mm. Um, And he even said, he goes, I don't care if you made the biggest mistake and screw up of your entire life. It's not going to change the way that I feel about you. Mm. So being so fortunate to have somebody in my life who knows me well enough, who can say one phrase and bring me to tears, um, that conversation alone um, changed the whole course of last week and into this week. Very, very amazing. Um, Thank you. And just finally, when you find yourself in this space where you've talked about people and actions and even just your own path. What do you find yourself most grateful for today? Just in this moment here and now. Hmm. Just the mention of gratitude brings up feelings. Um, Hmm. I have such an amazing Um, spirit family Mm. and teachers and community around me today. Mm. And I didn't have that for a really, really long time. I thought I found that on bar stools. And then I thought I found that in the rooms of 12 step recovery. And I couldn't, ever quite find where I really fit in. Yeah. So I built it. I built a community very slowly around this work of deepening consciousness. And it's not about Vedanta. It's not about Buddhism. It is just about people who want to show up and be better human beings, however they choose to. Yeah. Um. I say that uh, universal truths are spoken in many languages and I don't care what language you're speaking. As long as you show up and you want to know yourself better and you want to do less harm. Mm -hmm. And I have a, such an amazing community uh, that I never, ever had growing up that I am so incredibly grateful for. Mm. (laughs) Wow. Beautiful. Well said. Thank you. 
Thank you, Govindas. Thank you for your showing up. Thank you for your brilliance. Um, I so appreciate our friendship. And um, I just, you know, of course, wish you well. And I'm really looking forward to continued experimentation going forward on this deep work, right? So here we go and prospering. Jump in the water's warm, the hot tub. uh, There's a, there's space for everybody. (laughs) Beautiful. Thank you. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Awesome. Thank you for tuning in to another impactful conversation here on Real Eyes, Real Lies podcast. We hope you take some time to let the wisdom of the stories that were shared here today sink in, and we welcome you to engage with us on our social channels at realize.love on Instagram, at realize.love on Facebook, and also our virtual voicemail on SpeakPipe. You can call us and let us know individuals you'd like to hear us interview or ideas for stories that you think would be impactful for others to hear. We also have links in the show notes and we invite you to go to our website, realeyes.love, where you will find an online resource hub. It is our gift to all of our listeners to provide you the resources and support in making your own ripple effects actualizing love in this world. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. Thank you for doing all that you do. And remember, be true. Be real, be you, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you.